This segment of the I Am Desert Show is brought to you by Dropbox. Dropbox, work better, safer, together. All right, folks, welcome to the I Am Desert show. I am Desert, of course, your host. And uh, on tonight's show, uh, we have three um, very, I'm very excited about the three panelists that I've assembled. As you guys know, uh, November the 3rd is coming up. It's an election. Um, as I stated in the original post, many of you have already voted, um, and but we still need to have a conversation uh, about our vote and our voice and how important those things are in our community. Let me start uh, by introducing our panel. Uh, first, I have um, a young lady uh, who is no, um, she's no stranger to the I Am Desert show. She's been on the show before. Uh, Miss Adia Rogers, the trendy socialite. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you again for being on. My pleasure. Uh, and then, I, then I have my uh, my my preaching buddy. Uh, he is a uh, presiding prelate of the <laughs> my buddy, uh, Pastor Julian Robinson. Pastor Julian Robinson is pastor of the Empowered Church, Empowered Church in the Woodlands, Texas. Uh, he is also um, a serial entrepreneur, is what I like to call him, um, and a specialist, uh, and uh, has recently become an activist in the community, I will call him. He's bringing a lot of awareness to election issues and, and uh, things that are going on in our community. So welcome, uh, Pastor Robinson. I'm so glad to be here tonight. Thanks for asking me to come. Thanks for being on, man. And then last but certainly not least, um, I have my friend uh, who I've been friends with for quite some time, uh, Terrence Narcisse, better known as Trey Narcisse. Trey is the executive director of the East Harris County Empowerment Council. Is that correct? I get that, get that right? That's right. All right. Um, and uh, Trey is doing some amazing work in East Harris County. Um, helping people get to the polls, helping out the disaster recovery. Um, uh, his organization is doing so much that I, 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 I would be here all day trying to tell you some of the great things that he's doing for East Harris County. 
uh, a long neglected part of Harris County. And um, thanks to Trey and his organization for the great work they're doing. Trey, thanks for being a part. Thank you for having me. Listen, man, it's good to just have friends that you can call and uh, take part in conversations. Uh, it's, it's wonderful thing to surround yourself with people who, uh, who, have, uh, who have developed opinions uh, about our community and uh, who also feel deem it necessary to have conversations about the things that are going on in our community. As you guys know, we have an election coming up and I don't think that the, uh, the stakes could be any higher than what they are. Uh, especially for the black community, not only for America, but especially for uh, the black community. Um, there is quite a bit uh, at stake for us, I believe. And there's, there are quite a few things that have happened as of late that we'll, we'll discuss. We're gonna talk about the Ice Cube thing. We're gonna talk about uh, 50 Cent. We're gonna talk about Donald. We're gonna talk about all of those things um, if you tune in uh, tonight. Um, but I want to start with you, Trey. Um, in in your opinion, just how critical uh, is is this election for black black folk? I was gonna say black people, but black folk. Uh, in my opinion, I mean every election is is critical. Anytime that black people who make up anywhere between twelve to thirteen percent of the population uh, have an opportunity to um, uh, to do something, I, I definitely think that uh, they should take advantage of it. Uh, imagine if uh, 12 to 13 percent of your body was was no longer there. Um, there would be a significant, you know, uh, disadvantage. It is imperative that African Americans um, turn out to vote and make sure their voices are, are heard, uh, because as you all know, coronavirus is impacting Black and Brown communities um, disproportionately. Uh, as you all know, we have uh, usually uh, don't have equal access and equal awareness of opportunities and resources. Uh, so it is imperative that uh, black people and all people um, show up to the polls and uh, make sure that your voices are heard um, and that uh, the government that um, you choose uh, represents you and your interest. Excellent point, Trey. Uh, I, th I think that um, this is going to be one um, that, that's, that's very important. I, th I think that the election we had in 2018 was very important. Um, I, I think that our, our municipal um, elections are very important. Um, and I think, you know, people place greater uh, awareness on the presidential election. But I think it's also important that people understand uh, who you elect to city council matters. Who you elect for to be your mayor matters. Who you elect to be your county commissioner matters. The Harris County attorney matters. Um, who we elect to be the Harris County District Attorney matters. Who you elect to the school board matters. Who you elect to be your pastor <laughs> matters. Um, and, and so these things, um, these elections matter and they're, and they're important. And I think I can't drive home the point enough that, um, that we, we have to get more civic engagement. Um, and one of the, the, the groups of people who have been most highlighted during this election, I read an article the other day saying um, that black women are the backbone of the Democratic Party. Um, and so I want to direct this question to you, uh, Adia, with black women being called the backbone of the Democratic Party. What do you think that there is more at stake for black women or or is that just something that people are saying? Um, 
I definitely think that there is a lot at stake for all of us, right? Um, I think Black women, we by and large are just a lot more vocal about what's at stake, not only for our own lives, but for the lives of our family and family members, for those in our community, and for the world at large. I was looking for the origin of this quote, but I feel like it was either Angela Davis or maybe Shirley Chisholm that said, if you improve the lives of Black women, you will improve the lives of everyone. And so I think that that sometimes is where some of the um, the analogy comes from in terms of Black women being the backbone of, I mean, really starting from the beginning of civilization, but in definitely, I think, I feel like it was highlighted during the civil rights movement and it's just gone on from there. I think that's where that backbone mentality and analogy comes from is in the fact that we are so vocal. We are oftentimes, I mean, the first ones to show up and the last ones to leave when anything is happening in our communities. Because, I mean, just as women in general, but especially as Black women, our, our nurturing, loving heart and, and spirit wants to see everyone around us do well. Everyone around us have what they need. Everyone around us be treated fairly. And when there are injustices and when there are situations where that's not happening, we speak up. We speak up and we show up. Now, what I would like to see also happen is that at the point where we are the backbone, I want us to also be the face and the voice. And I want us to have a, an authentic seat at all of the tables. Or you come sit at our table and find out what it is that we need, find out what it is that are our issues. Because again, yeah. a lot of our issues are not just our issues. They're issues that if they are addressed and handled and dealt with, will improve the lives of so many people. I think you're, you're absolutely correct. I think you're absolutely correct. I, I commend um, African-American women uh, for um, their, their showing up. If you look at the breakdown, um, if you just look back, go back to the 2018 election um, and you look at the look at the numbers uh, in which black women showed up to the polls. Absolutely. Um, it, 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 it's a staggering number. Um, and then when you when you compare that to um, where uh, Caucasian women showed up and and who by and large number who they voted for. Absolutely. Um, you, yeah. You'll begin to see who is driving the numbers uh, for mm -hmm. the electorate. You, you will see mm -hmm. who is who is uh, the voice. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I think, you know, brothers, we got to do a better job of um, not only doing so much talking, um, but but then we have to follow that up with action and we have to stop coming up with so many excuses uh, for why, you know, uh, here lately, we've, we've heard quite a bit of talk. Um, there's been quite a bit of talk online. All you have to do is just scroll up and down Facebook and you'll see there's a lot of talk about getting something for our vote. And I, and I have to admit, I'm, I'm, I'm for that. Um, but one of the things that I'm not for is I am not for withholding my vote to get something. 
Um, I, I, I have not quite been able to grasp that concept. And, and, and for those of you who are listening tonight who might believe that, excuse my ignorance then, because I don't understand how you can withhold your vote in hopes that someone um, will give you something. I, I don't get that. So uh, I, I want to I want to kind of kind of direct this one at you, uh, Pastor Julian. Um, when people say get something for your vote. Is, is how feasible is it? Is that? Well, I, th I think it's very feasible um, because you have to be uh, you have to make sure that you're again you're talking about your voice being heard. If you want my vote, I need to know what I'm getting for it. It is feasible. Now, I think that uh, with what has happened here in the last few months, I think that the negotiating factor, um, it could be a little bit considered being the the, the 11 o'clock hour the 99th hour it may be we at a point to where it may be too late to negotiate since since we have the election coming up right now but i do think that there should be some type of system in place that we've garnered put together to where when maybe possibly the next election or elections moving forward we have a better sense of how to negotiate that factor um, but I do agree with you. I don't I don't think that holding your vote is the solution. But when it comes to negotiation, you do have to have a firm grasp. And and, and, and our community has to get to the point to where we actually come together on our issues and what we are expecting uh, within the next four years, next eight years or whatever in the future to, to be able to say, hey, if you want my vote, this is going to you have to do this. You have to do that. But a lot of it has to do with us coming together, though. A lot of it has to do with us taking the time to come together and bring those things and, and, and conditions and circumstances together that we want and we expect from an electorate uh, uh, so that we can put forth those those uh, things to the politicians and say, hey, if you want to vote, you got you have to do this. If you want to vote, you have to do that. But yes, I do believe that we need to negotiate what we want, just like we negotiate in business, just like we ne negotiate when it's time for us to uh, to get our promotion at work. You need to have that position to where you can negotiate, because obviously, obviously, our negotiation matters if you're trying to go after our vote. And I think it's a lot of things like one thing that our people don't realize they're coming after your vote for a reason, because they want to rely on something. So you do have some power to negotiate there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. I, I, I think you gave us a great segue um, into what I wanted to talk about next. You know, when you say us negotiating. Um, I think one of the things that's important for us, though, is going to be who's at the negotiating table. Um, everyone has seen, you know, um, the things that have been going on with Ice Cube and and his representation. Um, several things stick out on that to me. Um, I keep hearing people who are talking about uh, we need somebody to do something about the black agenda. And so I. I I, I'm, I get a little confused there because I, I must have missed the meeting where we discussed <laughs> what our agenda is, because everybody on this on this stream and those of you who are watching at home, we all need something different. And so my platform is going to be a little bit different. I'm a small business owner, so I'm going to be standing on top of the table talking about what support small business owners um, need. You know, uh, Trey is a um, is a. Um, um, a nonprofit organization and he deals directly boots on the ground with people. And so he's going to be on the table screaming about, Hey, we need help on the ground. You know, there are things that my organization is providing 
that, you know, and we need more resources so that we can help more people. So everybody on here is going to need something different. I was a little disheartened um, because if if uh, Ice Cube is going to be the person who's going to represent us, I was a little disheartened by the way that he was not able to explain what it was he was proposing. Um, you know, and I think I even put a post up and I said, if you're going to if you're going to be the one to sell me the plan. Doc, you got to know the plan. You got to know it so that you can sell it to me. Um, when I bought my car, the person who sold my car knew everything it was about my car. She could it was a lady. She could tell me about it from the hood to the trunk. She told me everything about the car and stuff that I didn't even really want to know. But she and so she was able to sell me on the car. So how I, without getting caught in personalities, because then we're going to have a personality issue. You're going to like this one person. You like this one. I don't like that one. I don't I don't trust him. You don't trust her. You know, so what? I'll start with you, Trey. You know, how do we get past that? Where do we go? Um, I, I, I agree with you. But back to uh, Pastor Julian's point about negotiations and who's at the table, uh, because there's a quote that says, if you're not um, uh, at the table, then you're on the table. Um, I think in terms of speaking from a collective voice of, of black people that we are not a monolithic people. We don't always agree that, um, you know, that this is the best way forward, which is why we have, you know, uh, so much division in our community. Uh, I think that we all agree on the outcome, but it's the pro approach that divides us. And the Bible tells you, well, how can two walk together unless they agree? Um, you know, this black community needs this. You know, Acres Home needs things from uh, different than Sunnyside. East Harris County needs different things from West Harris County. At the end of the day, what we all need to understand is that every community is like, it, much like a, a people, it's, it's different. But at the, at the end of the day, we all need access to opportunity, opportunity to be able to achieve something. Uh, to me, um, you know, I don't get in back. I don't go into back and forth about su uh, superstars or rich people deciding what poor people in America need. When at the end of the day, you know, you look at um, uh, many of, of, of our black superstars came from our same neighborhoods, but you look at their bios and they're ashamed to put us in there. And then you have people that are still in the community mm -hmm. around and hey, you know, come back and give back to your community. Oh man, I'm not worried about that. You know, uh, I'm I'm this person now. Um, so, you know, and that's a whole other issue of forgetting where you come from. But at the end of the day, what, it, what, it, what, uh, what I'm pushing for for African-American and all people is, is access to opportunity and resources to help them thrive and, quote unquote, live their best lives. But at the end of the day, it's like uh, Pastor you know, Julian mentioned about negotiating. I'm going to hold my vote in exchange for something. Well, if a closed mouth doesn't get fed, then how do you expect to eat? You know, the last time that black people came out in, in droves, uh, 2008, 2012, you know, what did you get for your vote? No minimum wage prior to 2009 was 515 an hour. Minimum wage is now 725 an hour. What did you get for your vote? You got an increase in minimum wage. Uh, you also got access to health care where uh, people to cover people with pre-existing con conditions. So let's not sit there and, and, and deal with the premise or act like, like, like black people don't get anything for their vote. So again, we have to, in order to vote and then hold people accountable. This is not one of those things where you just cast a ballot and you walk away. As you mentioned earlier, you know, we're quick to show up to vote for the past and the HOA and, and the dog catcher. But when it comes time to, to, to the president or to those uh, election elected officials and, and the local elections, ah, I don't have time for them. Well, if your vote wasn't that important, it would not be something that they take away as soon as you get in trouble with the, with the penal and the, and the uh, judicial system. 
Think about it. It's the first thing that they take. They take away your freedom first and then your right to vote. If those two things were not that important, why would why would that be a deal in the country on the books in order for them to take it away from you? It's, it's, it's that important. Essentially, it's priceless. As you mentioned, it is your voice. Imagine walking around, if you didn't vote, walking around without your voice for four years. Right. Mm. I, I think, I think very, very great, very good point. I think if we, um, as people, I think it's very important that we're able to articulate what our issues are. Um, what is important to you? What is important to your family? What is important to your community? Um, I'll give you a prime example. You know, there are people who are who have some concern about the tax rate for people who make four hundred thousand dollars a year or more. Um, I think that's Joe Biden's plan that there's a, there's going to be a tax increase for those people who are four hundred thousand dollar earners. Um, and but but then a lot of the dialogue that I've seen uh, has been from people who don't earn. <laughs> Four hundred thousand um, dollars, and and so I, I think you know that's that's not the issue that you would if you're not an if you're not that earner, that's not the issue that you would want to hang your hat on. You would want to hang your hat on the fact that you have a twenty-one-year-old son who is still in college um, that you would like to to continue to be able to have on your insurance. Uh, until they are able to secure their own insurance, you know, after they graduate. That's an issue that you would want to hang your hat on. You would want to vote for that issue uh, because that is an issue that directly affects you. Pastor Julian, what do you say about that? Uh, I, I agree with you. Now, the thing is, though, when we're discussing these issues, a lot of the issues that we're talking about are what we will call across the board issues. Um, I think the reason why we're having this upheaval with black folks is because uh yes you know, health care is there yes um we have we're talking about uh, uh giving more taxes or, or, or causing the folks who are pay, making more than four hundred thousand dollars a year uh paying more taxes uh but the thing is that none of these things that we're talking about and even in biden's plan are specifically to black people now black people will will benefit from some of these things um, just by, you know, just pseudo being in the room. But but when we're talking about issues that are specifically black, we do have to go back and really discuss uh, what does that look like? And I think that I think that that's that's the main issue or concern that um, that I have when we talk about, you know, what is what is Biden going to do? What what's going to happen with his administration um, versus what's going to happen with Trump's administration versus what what uh, Ice Cube did and all this kind of stuff? Can we get a solution from Joe Biden on a uh, that is specifically black and not just minority? And the reason why I say this, especially when it comes to business ownership, is because I've worked in uh, with 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 the with the hub system when I was in the university, and I was in charge of. Uh, creating the project to make this thing the, the the more automated and so what i learned was that yes when we talk about minorities yes we are included inside of the minorities but so are um the latinos so are um the asians so are uh, white women uh, and what happens a lot of times in those situations is since they're included in there what will happen is um 
they may be 51% owner of the business, but behind the scenes uh, is their, their son or their husband or their brother or their father who's actually running the business. So they're still somewhat getting getting benefits from having this quote unquote line in saying that yes, they're the owner, but they're still running the company from behind the scenes. We have to get, uh, and, I, and I really I'm at the point where I don't care who gets uh, who who becomes the president. I want to know what are you going to do specifically for black people, um, and I, I am willing to negotiate those terms because I because again I've seen it to where um, we 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 pass a law to help small businesses, but uh, black folks only get maybe four to five to seven percent of that assistance. So there has to be something set in place specifically for black people, not minority people. But black people, in order for in order for us to truly get to the place to where we feel like we have been uh, justified, so that that that's a, that that's a that's a great point, you know. And and I think that um, come November the fourth, um, that's going to be that's going to be important uh, because we're going to need to um, no matter who is elected, and you know, um, personally, you know, I. I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, and you know, me and Pastor Julian, we have some spirited conversations about this. Um, yeah. but, but he knows I am not a fan of Donald Trump. Um, and, and that's, and that's, and that's primarily because I, I, I take issue with, um, and I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but I take issue with, I have a problem with stupid people. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I, um, I, I take issue with a lot of the things that he says and does because they're stupid. And so um, it's it's not specific to him. It's just you know stupid in general. I just I, I can't. Uh, it's just something about when I turn forty. You know my my tolerance, um, my ability to tolerate stupid stuff. It just it it I've lost a lot of that. And so you know um, I, I would address this one to you, Adia. Well, what what would if we wake up on November the fourth? Well, really, if we we go to bed. Uh, on November the third, and wake up November the fourth, and and uh, Donald Trump is still our president. What does that mean for Black America? Um. <laughs> Ooh, uh, well, I know what it means for me. It means four <laughs> more years of, of headache, and 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 and, and uh, tweeting at him on Twitter. <laughs> well, I think that one of the first things that it means for us as a community, especially people of faith, is that we're going to spend the next four years and beyond because even if he is not reelected, the effects of him are still going to be felt for a long time after. I mean, for a long time. If you look at, um, if you look at past Republican presidents, like it took us a long time to get over some of the, the policies and the laws and the, the, um, the effects, the after effects of their presidency. So even if he is not reelected, we're still going to be dealing with him on November 4th and beyond. If he is, um, if he is reelected, and I felt this for a long time, even during President Obama's presidency, I by and large am overwhelmingly over expecting the government to do anything for me and for my community, right? I'm, I'm just over it. <laughs> I am at the point in life, in business, in 
um, community work and, you know, my relationships where I don't expect that much from them. That doesn't mean that I'm going to stop advocating. That doesn't mean that I'm going to stop doing my part and speaking up and being a voice when and where I can. It just means that, and I feel like there, it, um, when you look at Black Wall Street in Tulsa back in the 20s, when you look at um, the uh, segregation and how Black people ha had to live, right? Like, because the laws literally forbade us from access to resources and access to facilities and access to so much, access to voting and things like that. When you look at that, we had to figure out how to sustain ourselves within ourselves. And that's kind of where I am right now is I want, especially from a local and a regional and a statewide perspective, I want Black communities to use and utilize their resources and tap into each other and, and really kind of circle the wagons so that we can have what it is that we need. When I look at how I grew up in a small town in Eastern North Carolina, and I look at the fact that my dry cleaners was black and where we bought our furniture was black owned. And not only our doctors, but you know, our dentists, our insurance people. I mean, so many people were um, small black owned businesses or you know, the gas station where we, we would go across town. We drove across a bridge to go to the black owned gas station, you know, and things like that. It was, that was important to um, to how I grew up and to see some of those things dissipate and they're not as prevalent now as they used to be really kind of bothers me. And so regardless of who wins and regardless of the situation that uh, we wake up to on November 4th, that's where I feel like the Black agenda really needs to take root and to take hold, right? Like I feel like we need to, we need to command and demand the people yeah. that are elected to provide for every person in their constituency. And if they don't, we're going to, you're going to see us at the city council meetings. We're going to be sitting outside your office. We're going to be in the streets. We're going to find the resources necessary to get what it is that we need as a community. I think that's where, you know, especially back in the civil rights movement and prior, that's where the black church was so instrumental like mm -hmm. it was one of those lightning rods. It was one of those gathering places for not just spiritual growth and development, but personal and yeah. uh, political and business and all of those things. And to so we need to find like that's we need to find those lightning rods in our communities. And it doesn't have to be necessarily the black church. It can be a, a, a myriad of things for different segments and aspects of the community. But that is what we need to do. So my thing is when I wake up on November 4th, it is OK. How do I move forward regardless of who is at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? And I think I, I think. Go ahead, Trey. I have a question. Um I think that for for Adia, um, but but at the if at the end of the day, if if that's the position that that black people should take, um, does it really matter who matter? Yes, in theory, it matters who wins. Let me let me be clear. But but based on what you just shared, 
um, it, it, it doesn't matter who 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 wins the election. No, it 100 percent matters. And I'm not saying that I'm well, not no, going to no, be. Let me okay. kind of purpose it. I'm saying it doesn't matter because in terms of the personal responsibility. You know, based on what you just said of, of what what we need to do, it shouldn't matter because my my position is no matter who's elected, we should be doing that. So so you know the thing about it is that segregation there were, we we missed out on the benefits of segregation, looking for equality when we should have been asking for equity. Oh, Ooh, that's so good. Hundred percent. The matter of equality is everybody in the country gets one apple, but Pastor Julian is saying, well, black people may need three apples. Because of all that they've been through, and so, but then you look at on the flip side of, of of what's happening in the country of what is the black community is because community, as the deal was mentioning, community used to be based on geography. Now it's shifted to to be um, a professional. Yeah, so, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm of the teacher community. I'm a black teacher. I'm a black man. I'm a black business owner. I'm I'm black this, and then it it, it kind of spirals out of control from there to where you get this hodgepodge of everybody's asking for many different things as opposed to looking out for the we. We tend to look at the me, and my needs should come before yours. You know, I'm sitting in meetings and people are talking about dog parks. <laughs> right. <laughs> the park down the street in my community, like they need a, a playground. You know, so so you look at, at this whole deal of, you know, I've lived, I've, you know, I grew up in the Pleasantville community and it's made me who I am. And I'm the doctor such and such from PVAMU. And I'm like, okay, well, when the last time she drove through Pleasantville and saw her grandmother, grandmother house, you know, the same house that her grandmother raised all nine, 10, 12 grandkids, great grandkids and the whole family. And it's, it's not well for sale because the family doesn't want to pay the taxes. So when I look at the black agenda, I think it starts too with personal responsibility of saying, what can I do where I am with, with what I have to create change in my local community? You know, why do we still wait on the government to bring us answers and solutions? And I know I was sharing this with, with some of my some of my friends and counterparts talking about, you know, why, you know, and it was an honest question of why are black people so dependent on the government? And I said, when you think about it, the government has always had to come to the aid of, of, of black people. In terms of integration, in terms of, of um, fair housing, in terms of non-discrimination with business, in terms of marriage equality, in terms of, of, of redlining and all these different things, the government has had to come to the aid. And so please don't get it twisted that 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 um, that black people are dependent upon the Democratic Party. But I say when you look at what the government has represents in black America from from where it, 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 it came from to now, it, it looks much different now. Go ahead. Oh, can I can I jump in on this? Uh, because I hear a lot of people say that, yes, well, you know, why do black people need the government? Why do you know assistance? Let me say this. And, and depending on where you are in history, everyone has used the government to help them out. What is it when the stock market crashes and the government comes in? Isn't that what, what is a bailout? A government bailout? Government assistance. To help out uh, the businesses, so okay, so you can't we we can't say a, 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 a try a try get to get people to try to down us or disregard the fact that some people need government assistance because everyone in whatever community you have ever been in at one point in time you can find a place in history where the government came in and bailed you out. Yeah, you know. Well, and I I so also think. 
I also think in in terms of um, the African-American community and Black folk, a lot of it is not them necessarily coming to our aid, but I feel like it's them righting their wrongs. And so when you have to come in and provide us with assistance, it's because you withheld adequate resources and access to resources to us for dang on near 400 years, right? And so, yeah, I don't think that it is like we are helpless and you're coming to our aid. It's no, you finally need to right some of the wrongs that you have systemically and historically um, like just put on um, specifically black people. And I, you know, and probably even before that, definitely the Native American community. I feel like both in, in a lot of respects, uh, what they what they do for us and the assistance that we provide and get and uh, seek after is really just about them righting their wrongs. And, and they I, should. I agree with, with both of, with, uh, of what you all are saying. And, and maybe I should put my comments in better context of, I'm saying growing up, like you mentioned, in the community where everyone did business together. I'm talking about waiting on the government from that regard. And, and yeah. other, no, other I, okay. local systems of the government can't come in and say, hey, Trey, do business with, with Desra. I'm saying, what is it that we can do, the power that we have, the collective power that we have with our with our dollars, our knowledge and our resources? Because black people, we're the richest that we've ever been in. We're the most free people, the most opportunity, the more resources. But then I look at, at, at our generation and how things are moving backwards. And I look at my 103-year-old uh, and have great-grandmother, and she's able to maintain all of these properties by paying her taxes, you know, even though that she's only living off of Social Security and Medicaid and the, and the government benefits. So, yes, the government does step in and, and do a, a good job of providing that assistance and those resources, which is another reason why we need to make sure that we're out there voting. But I'm saying at the local level of small business development, Black business, Black dollars circulating the economy, that's not something that the government can come in and, and to mandate for us. And so I'm saying, why, you know, again, who are we waiting on to show up for this Black agenda? Yeah. You know, again, this is about getting people together in the room and doing right by each other to make sure that we develop our economies of success, to make sure that the church has adequate resources, to make sure Adia's business has adequate resources, to make sure Desra has the knowledge and the skills and the access to the capital to make that happen. Because again, you know, I look at Black people all across LinkedIn, they're in some of the most uh, highest positions and that, you know, they're still seeing first black senior VP, black CEO. Again, that's not something that the government can come in to do for us. It's something that we should be doing for ourselves. So that's what I meant when I said waiting on the government to come in to do something in that regard, not from the. So I think one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is this notion of are we chasing clout or are we trying to build community? And I feel like when we um, are tagging all these celebrities when a natural disaster happens and we want Beyonce to come in and save Houston when um, a hurricane happens and when we want, you know, someone else to come in and save the whole community when something happens. I feel like we have to really just for a moment, turn the mirror to ourselves and say, am I really trying to chase clout? Or am I trying to build community? Can I take my own coat and clothes down to um, my local shelter or the church? You know, and without a camera crew following us, without 
you know, looking for a byline or mentioning right. a newspaper article or any of those things, right? And so I feel like that's part of the personal responsibility and the work that should be happening every day, whether it is a national election season, whether it is a local or a midterm election season or a state or regional election season, we need to be doing those kinds of things. And I think that speaks to Trey's point about building community. Like that's how you start to build community. Where can I be? And, you know, then there's all this uptick of things. Um, when when something happens in to our community or within our community where it's all like oh now all of a sudden i need to buy black and i'm like no and and i and i am so guilty of going into target and because it's convenient mm -hmm. and getting what i need as opposed to clicking online or going across town um, to a uh, to a black owned business in order to patronize them. So I completely get it. But I think that that's where, again, we have to pause and ask ourselves, am I trying to like chase clout when you look at um, the luxury goods industry and how black people are consumers of that? But there are African-American, African, black luxury good designers out there. But because it's not on and popping on Instagram necessarily, and, um, you know, our favorite rapper or celebrity or IG um, person isn't wearing it, then we're like, oh, I don't, yeah, I'm not really going to get that because it's not, it's not pop culture popular. Right. But did we not know that patronizing that business, so many Black businesses donate a portion of their profits to local organizations or to causes that are um, either you know, uh, super supported by the black community or where we are overwhelming recipients and beneficiaries of those kinds of things. And so I, I just feel like that's for me, that's part of the personal responsibility. Um, and then I think what, what, when we do that, we really are able to see what are the, the needs and the, the um, what what is it that the black community needs? So, you know, when we were talking earlier about the black agenda, I was kind of like, there are so many different pockets and facets and opinions, and I don't know that there is one one agenda that we can put on eight and a half by eleven paper and you know with check boxes beside it and be like, okay, we've done this, we've done that, because again, it is going to be to some degrees extremely individual, but then also um, with the subsets of our community extremely uh, nuanced as well, and so it's like. But once you kind of get out there and see what the needs are and, and then where your passion is, so then that's where you can make that difference. I think Trey was talking about, like, what can you do? You find that area of life and community where you can put your boots on the ground and make a difference. And and if each one of us does that and if we are like, I'm going to I want to make sure that the politicians that I choose to support and elect speak to those particular issues. Um, because some of them, they can't know every ill and every issue that every community has. But if we're, if we're consistent in using our voice to say, Hey, uh, Joe Biden, Hey, Kamala, Hey, whoever, this is what is important. Did you know that, 53% of people are, you know, experiencing this. Did you know 45% of people are experiencing yeah. that? They may not be able to speak directly to it all the time, 
but some some campaign, some policy advisor somewhere has it on their checklist of things that we needed to, to try to figure out. That, that, now, having said that, um, there, there are communities that um, they're not concerned with who will be the president on November the 4th because they have set up their own economy. Uh, namely, the, if, you, if you take a look at the Asian community, they're not affected by a Joe Biden or a Donald Trump presidency because they have their own economy outside of our economy. And they have a, have a whole community where they keep their money within their community. It just recycles. They have Asian grocery stores. They have an Asian bank. They have an Asian dry cleaner. They have an Asian restaurants. They have, you know, they have their own everything. Will there ever be an opportunity for us to embrace? We try, but we're real spotty with it. Some of us went and opened uh, bank accounts at black owned businesses uh, for about, we had them for about 30 minutes. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and the first time they charged you $5, you went and pulled, you went and drew your money out. But you didn't tell nobody on Facebook you did that, but you did. Um, and so when will we get to the point to where our mindsets, because that's a mindset. When will we get to the point that our mindsets will allow us to create our own economies and and thrive within those economies. Well, it takes it takes sacrifice. You know, you have to be willing to sacrifice a little bit in order to get there. And a lot of us want, don't want to sacrifice because we've been trained uh, to get what we want now, uh, and and to a certain extent, uh, step on who we need to to get there. So, we have to be we have to be willing to sacrifice a little bit, and like 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 uh, Adia said earlier, have to sacrifice in order to drive across town to uh, to see that 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 luxury um, clothing store that that is black owned. I have to make that sacrifice to do that. That I, I, I means I'm passing up several different. Um, I'm, I'm passing up J.C. Penney's. I'm passing up uh, uh, Neiman Marcus. I'm passing up all these other places to get to that spot. But I'm doing it because it's, it's for the community. So there has to be a, a willingness to sacrifice in order to do that. Um, there are, uh, uh, and I, and I want to say this, and I'm going to take, since everybody seems to be like, like Black Panther, I'm going to take this <laughs> Black Panther approach at explaining kind of what we need in community and how a kingdom is built. Uh, there's four components I see that you need in a kingdom. Uh, of course, you need a king. Uh, you need a people. You need a, a a way of having commerce, however that looks. Of course, for uh, Wakanda, they had vibranium. <laughs> and then you need a militia to to shield the border and to tape off the border. You need a military to tape off the border. And I think that when we talk about community, when we, when we get these concepts in mind of what we need, I know that we, we don't we don't want to think king and kingdom, but we do have community, which, which takes a people and a and a power of, of, of that be or whatever. And we do need an economy, of course, a way of, of making commerce, and we need a, an army that is going to help protect what we've built, and we, and that and all again, all of this takes sacrifice in order to get there. But you need these components in order to have a steady, flourishing community. Because like you say, 
when you go to an Asian community, they've marked it off. As soon as you cross over the street, you know you've moved from from regular town to Chinatown. And and, and you go into a store, uh, this person owns that, and they do business with that company. They do this business across the street with that grocery store, and they don't go outside of that uh, and let their money bounce around eight to 12 times before it ever gets to you. And until we get to that mindset to where we're sacrificing that much to where I'm going to allow my money to bounce eight to 12 towns, times within my community before it goes outside of the community, we're going to continue to have these issues over and over again. But that's what needs to happen. There has to be a willingness to sacrifice until we get there. And it may take a generation. It may take a time time for us to get there, but it has to be a sacrifice first off. So. Well, I agree with that. And so, Desiree, let's rephrase your question is, do we have the discipline to succeed? Mm-hmm. Because if we know what success looks like, then the question is, it's not a matter of, of uh, it may be a matter of ability, but it also may be a matter of desire. Do we want to succeed as a community? Because Pastor Murray has a saying that the community means it's a common unity. We have something in common because long gone are the days uh, where we would love people and use things because now we tend to use people and love things. And as mm-hmm. I mentioned mm-hmm. that I'm willing to use people to get the thing that I want, even if, even if that means that I have to walk alongside you to one day eventually then slit your throat, which then creates mistrust in the community because now you have all these generations of people growing up whose parents and families didn't get along together because there was a whole lot of other um let's just say a lack of personal responsibility going on within the community, going on within the church, going in to where people in the community are the powers that be got access to information and resources that the others didn't get. Uh, because, you know, you look at, um, you know, uh, slavery, just take that for instance, uh, they went over to Africa, got, you know, black people. Uh, but it, to, to my knowledge, it wasn't white people selling black people to black people or to white people. It was black people selling black people, their own kind to, to, to white people. So looking at what does that look like for our community and how do we love people and essentially love the hell out of people, people that we don't even like. How can we, because, you know, we have this cutoff generation, I'm food desert, you know, and, and I'm done. As opposed, or then you look at small black business. I love to support small. You can't cancel me, Doc. I love to go to, to, to catering and, and do contracts and awards for, because I look at, I look at our contractors and most, a hundred, hundred percent of all the contracts for our organization go to minority people. And, and that was, we weren't even intentional about that. It was looking at who is the best qualified candidate to fill this need that we have. And then what, let's sit down and meet with them about their philosophy and then look at how can I then pass on that contract or that contractor to Adia, to Pastor Julian, to Desra, or how can I create a webinar to give that person an even bigger platform to do more business? But I've also had the opposite happen to me where we sit down, hey, you know, black this and, you know, buy black and, you know, whoop do whoop do whoop and did the deal and, you know, we paid out the money and we still went on the project, you know, to end two years later. Yeah. Oh, we have to hold people. We have to hold people accountable. You know, holding people accountable to say, "Hey, you know, if I do go into a black, you know, a black business. I do want the same level of customer service that I would get if I went into a purple business." You know, I do want. I still have. There's still. There's not. You don't get a pass by essentially by being black. Now, I may not stand for. No, but absolutely it's not. It's a double folded. You know, a two pronged approach of you know us not getting opportunities. But even when I sit down with funders and people who, as Julian mentioned, approve the contracts, they say, Terrence, 
African-Americans and, and, you know, I look at some of this stuff that they send us and they're just not ready. But then, as you mentioned earlier, as I mentioned earlier, do you have the discipline to succeed? Are you willing to get on a webinar and come to a class to help us develop your marketing and your branding and pay Desro for what he's worth for his logo? Um, $250, 250 may get you $250,000 just by the look and feel of the verbiage in your contract. So, you know, you're not willing to invest in your own success. How can we collectively invest in our success? Because, again, we know time and time again that when you invest in black business, those dollars return to those black communities to hire your black son or your black daughter. So looking at, you know, again, understanding economics of, of how those dollars should be working for us in the community. It's, a, it's, it's the law of reciprocity. You give to get, you give to get. I believe the more I get, I'm, I'm only, I'm, my giving can only be, um, can't be any greater than the level of, of my gift. And how do we, again, rest, you know, give to get, give to get. The more I give, the more I get. And how do we get out of that mindset of scarcity of there's not enough resources to get to go around? So that means I have to go down and talk down on Pastor Julian and, you know, did she ain't no good with well, Everybody that you've done business with ain't no good. It may not be them. It may be you, man. I'm done. Absolutely. Well, I do, I do, I, I do believe in holding a, a business accountable uh, and I think that what happens is that let's okay. Let's say we go to to a serve uh, get served by a black business, uh, and they we don't get the proper service. Customer service is bad. The first thing we do is we ditch all black businesses. I'm never going back there. I'm never going to another black business. But if we go to Walmart, uh, if we go to Walgreens or HEB, and we get bad service. It doesn't stop us from going to the next Walmart. It doesn't stop us from going to the next HEB. It does not stop us from going to the next Walgreens or whatever because we give them we give them a pass. I, I feel like that we we and I'm not saying we should give each other a pass. I'm saying hold us each other accountable. Listen, I want to support your business, but the last time I went to your business, this happened. This happened. This happened. Listen, I do not want to hinder you from making money, but I do believe you need to address these things so that we can continue support to, to support each other. To me, that's love. Yes. That's true love. Letting it you is. know, hey, I want to support your business, but you need to work on these things so that we can continue to, to support one another. Instead of me going and bashing you and saying, hey, I'm never going to support another black business again. Let's hold each other accountable to the point to where we love each other past having that lashing conversation. And black and to the black business owner, be open enough to receive yes. that feedback yes. and do not discount that feedback because it is coming from someone who looks like you. My opinion is uh, my opinion of your business is not invalidated because I because we both are black. Um, and so we as black business owners, we have to be able to have those tough conversations with our with our customers. I have had a many a tough conversation with uh, a bad experience that I've had in a target. I've had a many a tough conversation with uh, executives at United for a bad encounter that I had on a flight. Um, and and I can tell you that the interaction that I've had with those um, with with those companies um, was different than a conversation I would have had with an African-American uh, in their business. And so we have to be, and I say we, because I'm a black business owner, we have to be willing to accept that feedback from our customers and not only just listen to what people are saying, you got to be able to make those changes that are necessary um, so that our communities can continue to thrive 
uh, and the monies can continue to be circulated in our communities um, and, and making, making our vote um, just as much, just as more valuable. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to ask you guys this, do Americans uh, really realize how close we are to living in, uh, in a nation, an authority, is it authoritarian? Is that the word? Nation. Do, do we realize how close we might be to that? I don't think people really realize um, how many of the, how many of the stop gaps that were put in place to keep that from happening how many of those things that have been jumped over by by the current administration and just how close we are um, to 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 being in a in a dictatorship. Now, I know some people may not believe that, but but if you look at the institutional norms that were put in place, that the founding fathers had enough sense to put these things into place. Now we can argue about whether or not those things were right and whether or not they had black people in mind. Cause I can tell you, they, they wouldn't think about us, but, but I can say that the, the institutional norms that they put in place to stop certain things from happening. And, and those things have been leaked over and, and, and waved and pushed to the side. Me and uh, Pastor Julian were having a very spirited conversation. We'll be going back and forth in the comments about the fact that, that Donald Trump, won't release his tax returns. And, um, you know, and Pastor Julian was saying, well, hey, you know, if I was the president, if I was running for president, I wouldn't show you mine either, you know, because it's, it's my tax return. And I said, I get that. I get that. I understand that. And you have the right to do that. But, but here's the issue. If he, as a black man, took on that same stick, I all but guaranteed him, Doc, they're not letting you not show your tax return. You're going to produce yours. <laughs> he doesn't have to produce his, but you're going to produce yours. And I can guarantee you if you have those same improprieties that he has in his, because a lot of the stuff that he deducted is crap. And so if you have those same deductions, you're going to jail. Just one. Don't say same if you just got one. For one year, because, you know, don't 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 even... It's not equal. Let's let's not make make it seem like it's it's tit for tat. It's it's everybody knows that uh, we all play by certain rules to to in this game called life. Uh, but I, I don't I don't think that people realize or recognize how close we are to anything uh, because essentially we've been so blessed that that we don't know anything else and you can't miss what you've always had. Yeah, it's not until something is taken away from us that we got to rush in and say, well, I need that back. And that's my fear for for people in voting in general. That if, if the government is able to make you know laws to where you know voting, let's say God forbid that voting is is taken away, then everybody wants to rush towards that thing of I wish I needed because again, uh, don't miss the the movement for the the moment of you know being politically active of like as Julian mentioned going to a black business. It's the same thing with voting for a politician. Hey, I did you ran for mayor? I voted for you. I'm not having a good experience and, and, you know, I'm going to hold you to that campaign promise of you said that you was going to clean up these streets and, and cover up all the potholes and put business on every corner. Where where is that? So, it, again, it's, it's, it's that whole idea of becoming a person of a growth mindset that I desire that feedback to move forward because it's that feedback that's going to make me internally, intrinsically better to not only provide for myself, but also the, everyone that's connected to me. 
when you look at when you look at things like the like the Voting Rights Act, and and if you look at uh, you turn on C-SPAN and you look at how long, um, they go back and forth for hours of debate. These white guys that are old enough to be all of our grandparents are going back and forth about what they think that I ought to have the right to do. I'm, I, I, I'm bewildered by that, that, that it would take that much discourse going back and forth about what they know is right. What they, they, they know these, these things are right, but they want to debate about them and take them out um, uh, and, and, and put in a bunch of fluff and make us feel like they're doing something for us. Um, I, I think it has to get back to us being uh, participants. We have to be participants in the in the overall political process. Folks, call your elected officials, write them, email them, tweet them, tag them, do whatever you have to do um, um, uh, to get their attention. I live in a uh, I live in a Republican area. You know, out here where I live, it's uh, you know uh, John Cornyn. Uh, and and uh, what is, uh, Kevin Brady is my con is my congressperson, um, and I know Kevin ain't thinking about me uh, or what's important to my my community, but that does not stop me from writing Kevin. I faithfully write him and tell him what I think about when he votes, when there there are vote you know, and I see the way he voted. I write him and I tell him that I I I don't appreciate. I don't care what my next door neighbors, how they, if they appreciate it with you know, the ones that live next door to me who, and their Wi-Fi is, is named Trump 2020. I don't care <laughs> what they feel about it. I'm, I'm telling Kevin, I don't like it because of X, Y, and Z. Faithfully, I'm participating in that process and letting them know that I am, that is my way of holding you accountable because guess what happens when I write him that letter? Guess what happens when I write John Cornyn? Guess what happens when I tweet at Donald Trump? That becomes a part of the congressional record. That's recorded that I wrote him and I am on record saying that I disagree with I disagree with my senator. You know, and so I think we have to be very vocal and they know that. So we have to be very vocal uh, about our communities, about what's going on in our communities. And that only starts with our with with our vote now, I need you guys to all commit to something for me right now. Can uh, I say? Can I say you, something? You, you can right after I get this commitment from you. On November the fourth, at well after November the third, you guys have got to agree to come back on my show, and the show is going to be titled "What Now." Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, what now? Now what? What do we do now? Because I think we need this. This needs to be ongoing dialogue for us. We need we need to have these very tough conversations. And we're we we're not going to always agree, and that's cool because I know it's a lot of people that don't agree with Desiree. I'm okay with that, but I think it's we can't we can't get to a point um, to where that's even possible if we don't have these tough conversations. I hear you out. You hear me out. You talk about what you think is important. You tell me, hey, man, I ain't a Democrat. And I say, well, hey, I'm. Yeah, yeah, we got to have those kind of conversations. Pastor Julian, go ahead. Um, 
I think I, I, I agree with what you're saying totally about uh, the mindset of contacting your congressman, uh, being involved. And I think the difference with us is those things are not taught early enough. Um, we, we, we deal with those things. I, Cause you know what, what happens is when we go to like, we're getting ready to go into the holiday season, we go to Thanksgiving, we go to Christmas, we hear our uncles and our parents aunts and talk about what the government should do and all that kind of stuff. But those things are not instilled in, in us at an early enough age to where we can be active, uh, uh started and thinking about this type of things as a teenager. Right. Uh, 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 as soon as we get 18 years old and we start having these type of conversation and thought process, do you know, do you know uh, 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 your congressman's phone number? Do you know your, your congressman's email address? Do you know who your congressman is? Uh, uh, do you know who your mayor is? Start there. You know, do you know who your senator is? You know, those type of questions. Do, do they know this at an early enough age to and know that they can, in fact, contact them is that something that's being taught and understood that can happen at an early age like you say you you, you have all this documentation and that's good but think about it I, i'm gonna be honest with you when i was i was being raised i didn't i never thought about uh writing my congressman i never thought about calling uh anybody for anything whether it if it was something as simple as a pothole in the street i i, I wasn't raised to think that way and, and I, I think that's, I'm, faithful. That's, I'm faithful with it that yeah, that's 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 some neglect there that we have to again transform our minds and instill early enough uh, uh, to our children, those who are, and those who are coming up, that there's these things that you can do and these things that you should do, these things that you should know. But you know, in, instead of knowing um, the, the the latest rap song from Jay Z, you need, do you know um, who your who your latest public servant is? You know, we, we we have these type of questions that we need to ask. Cause I can go ask my son um, who made this beat that I heard on on on, on the uh, TV, and he can rattle it off and let me know who's it singing, who this uh, uh, person is. But if I, if I ask, do does he know uh, uh, the he, they know the the laundry, laundry list of independent candidates that are running for president at this time? Does he know uh, who the last few mayors were for Houston, Texas? You know, does, does does he know these answers to these questions? If we have not instilled that in them, how will they know? They're we're gonna wait till they turn forty. Uh, wait till they turn 50 years old, 60, 60 years old before they start uh, being part of the process, you know. So that's a dynamic that has to change, too. When we talk about voting, we talk about uh, knowing these folks. Do do we uh, instill this early on? Same thing we talk about. We talk about financial literacy and all these things, credit repair and, and all this. Do we instill these things early enough in them so they can make better decisions about the time they reach our age? That That dynamic also needs to change. Go ahead, Adil. Yep. So I think we also, as full-fledged, fully grown adults, we, in order to help shape our perspective too, and to maybe even help influence our perspective and to give us a, a sense of legacy, we need to go back and have conversations with our four parents, right? Mm. So my parents, uh, the Voting Rights Act was, what, 1965? I think it was 64. 64. Okay. Yeah. So my parents were 17 and 18 years old. They, they did not grow up having the right to vote. They grew up in segregation. Right. And so I've talked to them, especially in this election season, I've asked, especially like my dad, I was like, so does this feel like 
when you were growing up? Like, how, how do you feel about this? And he's, he's very concerned um, about uh, younger generations not being interested in voting, having the notion of, you know, you need to, you need to give me something for my vote and that kind of thing, because he's like, if, if this does not go the way that it should go and that it could go, we will likely regress to how our foreparents grew up. And if you want to know, you know what that is like, we need to ask our parents, our aunties, our, our grandparents. I grew up hearing stories about um, them going to, like all of my parents and aunts and uncles graduated from segregated high schools. I, I think my, my youngest uncle, his was the first class to graduate from an integrated high school. I mean, that I'm, I'm the next generation, right? So we're not that far removed from it. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to, to gain some perspective and to realize the importance of what's happening right now today. We need to ask them, how do you feel about, you know, about the state of things right now? Does this feel like, you know, the civil rights movement? Does this feel like, you know, the uncertainty and the, you're just not really sure how things are going to end up. Does it feel anything like that? I think that that would help us um, give, get some perspective as well, because even if we feel like you have to earn my vo vote or my vote doesn't, doesn't matter or things like that, I think the other conversation that we need to have is about legacy, right? So my parents did things and sacrificed and experienced things so that I wouldn't have to. I grew up, you know, going with my mom and my grandmother. My, my mom would rush in from work, pick up my grandmother, and we would all go to the polls. And I would stand in the booth with my mom or my grandma. Like, from the time I can remember, that was what uh, my experience was like. We have regular political uh, and community-based discussions at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I think you know, to Pastor Julian's point, we do need to make that a regular part of um, our our family and community dynamics okay. and not necessarily just shy away from that because, because I've heard, I grew up and I've heard those stories my whole life. Like the attachment that I have to my right to vote is, I mean, like so, so deep because my parents didn't know if they were going to be able to do that when they turned 18. So, I mean, literally the day before or maybe the week before I turned 18, because uh, you had to go to the post office and get your, <laughs> so I went to the post office and I filled out all of that paperwork. Like that was a rite of passage. And I think if we as the elders, because I'm getting to that point now, so if we as the elders Speak for yourself. are, uh-huh. Uh Okay. I know when your birthday is. Okay. <laughs> if we as the elders start to make those moments um, special, like it was for me, like it was made for me, I think that that's how we start to create that legacy and that bond and that attachment to their civic responsibility, to their community responsibility that I think is going to be vital November 4th and onward. That's good idea. I think, too, it comes down to are things so convenient and have things gotten so good that it, it's uh, not giving us the um, the ability to care or be concerned? Mm. Because if, 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 if blessed is all I've, all I've been and I've, I've never experienced what it's like to not be blessed, then 
I'm good because I'm thinking that it's going to be somebody else's responsibility to keep me blessed. So that's one. Then on the second, on the second hand, you have you you look at, based on your story uh, there. You look at you know um, the elders, so to speak, the, the generation uh, that's come before us and the generation before that. You know they had the discipline. Again, it goes back to they were disciplined and they were um, you know concerned. They had a, some cares and concern about what life would be like and what that meant. They also had a responsibility and a duty to themselves and to their community to make sure that they did what they needed to do to take care of the community. Then they also had the accountability to make sure that it was done because, I, you know, there were certain churches that that um, I, I was told a story about a pastor. Now, he had every single I think they may have been on the desert or somebody was saying that their pastor had a book of everyone in the neighborhood that was, you know, the voter rolls of when you turned 18, you would go write your name in the book. And that's how, you know, they knew to call you to make sure that that you, you know, would, would get out and vote. But then also intentionality. There has to be a, a good focus of being intentional as pastors, as business owners, as barbers, as places that black people frequent and shop to make sure to have those conversations of, mm-hmm. hey, man, did you know this is what's going on? Because right now it's too cool not to care. It's too comfortable not to care. Right. So people can sit there and look at the news and, and, and laugh and say, hey, Kanye should be you know, the next president. But that you don't even understand the power that, that these people have over, over your lives. You know, nine people are, 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 are appointed to serve for life and literally they're dying in office. You have, you have, you know, Congress does not look like the racial makeup of the country. But more importantly, they don't even have the understand the, the income. So they don't know. They don't. Some people like they don't even know that the price of milk and bananas, y'all. And they're making laws and legislating laws that they themselves don't have to live by. Right. Thirty seven million people out of work and they literally make one hundred eighty thousand plus per year for to do absolutely nothing. And, and they're making the laws of the land for the whole country for 330 million people. You got what 400, uh, 535 people that are making laws for for 333, you know, 330 million. And it's it's just you have all these issues that are coming up. But you look at the younger generation, and it's like if it's not affecting me to, uh, or affecting me today, I don't have to be concerned with it until it's too late. And that's my uh, my my greatest fear is that people won't wake up and realize because people, you know, oh, it's okay, oh, it's okay. But again, it's a dangerous not, mindset. Yeah, because you know, again, you're you're basing that off of where you are today, and you don't know where you're going to be tomorrow. Yeah. And my thing is, if it's not okay when the people that you don't like do it, make sure, make damn sure that it's not okay when the people that you do like do it, because it's only a matter of time before those tables turn when you can't benefit from that system of that that's in place. And I tell you what, if you've ever been, if you've ever been cursed, then you definitely understand um, um, uh, when when you're being when you're being blessed. You definitely understand the difference. If you've ever gone through um, that season of your life when nothing that you do is enough. Right now, I'm, I'm getting off on this. Is a totally different conversation. Uh, uh, Pastor Julian, if you don't need to take a text right here, you can. But no, I'm saying if you've ever lived through that type of season where nothing that you do produces anything. And then you're at a season in your life now where um, seems like everything you touch turns into gold. But I think you have to go. You have to go through that. You know, you know where you are today, just like you just said, but you don't know where you'll be tomorrow. And you don't you don't know. If the very welfare that you're looking down on people for having to go and get, you might need tomorrow. You're laughing at people for for using what you need. Yes, sir. You're laughing at them, but you're going to need that same milk. You might need that same. You just don't 
No, unless you have built this system on your own where you, you know, you, you, you're living outside of um, the societal norms. Um, you guys, we got to wrap it up right here. Um, you are listening to the I Am Desert show. I Am Desert, your host. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to um, my guest tonight, Adia Rogers, Pastor Julian Robinson and Trey Narcisse. Thank you guys so much for joining me. They, they agreed to come back again uh, after the November election. And we're going to, we're going to talk about what now um, close any closing remarks. Anybody have anything they want to close out with? Go vote. Yes. Absolutely. If you have not voted, and take somebody with you, go vote and take someone with you. Make sure everybody in your circle has voted. And if they have not, you need to have a conversation with them, a crucial conversation like this show is called crucial conversations for our community. You need to have a crucial conversation with anybody who has not voted and who is eligible to vote. Take them to the polls. It is very important. Vote like your life depends on it because it literally does depend on uh, which direction uh, this country will, will continue to go in or will we potentially go in a different direction? And, and, and it's up to us, people. It's up to us. Um, thank you guys so much. Uh, let's look. Let's look in the comments here. Uh, I'm trying to see if I see any any um, questions. I don't see any questions. I see a lot of people are agreeing, uh, a lot of agreement, but I don't see uh, any questions. Um, thank you guys again. Uh, it's the I Am Desert Show. It's a podcast is available on all of the platforms. Uh, coming soon to radio. Stay tuned. Uh, yes. I'll have more information about that very soon. Uh, where you'll be able to listen um, on on Monday and Fridays uh, from 7 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, they done gave me three hours on the radio, y'all. Y'all know I'm about to go, I'm about to go crazy. So y'all pray for me. Um, thank you guys so much for being a part of the show tonight. Uh, thank you guys, uh, the, the audience. We've had a great audience tune in all night. I've been watching the numbers uh, and people have stayed tuned in this entire time. Thank you guys so much. It's the I Am Desiree show. I am Desiree, your host. Thank you. Thank you guys again. Hi, my name is Taylor, and you're listening to the Uncle Des show. Make sure you're following the I Am Desert Show on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. On Instagram, just simply search I Am Desra. On Facebook, search for the I Am Desra Show. There you can leave us your questions, comments, and suggestions. And we'll get back to you. Thanks for listening to the I Am Desra Show. <laughs>